0: Okay, and it's five, four, three, two, one. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tell the Damn
1: Story with legendary writer, producer, actor, child saver Alex Simmons and me, Chris Ryan, a hybrid author and small publisher of A Growing Dream. And today we are going to talk about that dream with the help of our good friend and frequent tell the tam- tell the damn story guest the yeah, one who the the right real James <laughs> G- uh, Glenn there you go I got so excited I couldn't get all of the names out there you go what's up Teal? how are you doing I-
2: i'm doing excellent you should recognize my background yeah, I-, I love how his housing keeps changing while we were talking well, I-, I used yeah. to teach online and i would do that to keep my students awake i would just flip huh. it. That that mm-hmm. actually looks like the Denver airport to me. It is. Yeah, oh, right. oh, no. <laughs> you're, a,
1: you're you're a mean. I mean never man. got
2: away. I never got out.
1: Teal and I, Alex, were and Carol, a Guy Xander, were marooned on in Denver after the Stoker Con, and it was like three days of going back and forth to that. What it looks like a friendly place, but we couldn't get
0: out. And uh, it was it was crazed. It was a highlight uh, th- an episode like that.
2: So, it really was. It, it yeah. very much felt like one.
0: While, while my heart is calming down, let's find out from Alex how he's doing. Alex, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Funny you should ask. You know, I'm really, I'm really excited to be here this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever it is you guys are listening to this show, because my buddy Chris here has been working on the project of the century, which is to create with a bunch of an erratic group an eclectic group of writers, a collection of horror stories that sort of run this amazing gamut of genres and backdrops and settings. And to do it all in 24 hours, no, um, something pretty close to that. He's done it in a really compressed period of time. And you guys are going to have an opportunity to get a taste, taste, a little taste of some of the wonderful stories in that. And starting with, this writer up here, who's now on another planet. Yes. <laughs> Teal has a story in it. I have some st- a story in it. And they're gonna, you're going to be, over the next few episodes, you're going to be meeting other authors who yeah. contributed to this masterpiece called... Oh. Scream,
2: scream, oh, cool. scream, cool. Cool. Cream, cool. Cream, there go, scream, scream,
0: scream. There and actually has... Did he just step on our build-up? No, we? it was
1: beautiful. Oh, okay, I'm, thank I'm you. I'm man. building on that. It oh. actually has three... Appearances by you, Alex, and four by Teal because one of them in Soul Scream Anthology, this cover right here. If you're watching on YouTube, the Led Zeppelin four of our episodes uh, or uh, volumes of Soul Scream Anthology has no title on the cover, blue cover. But in that issue, not only did Teal have the story, and I think and and Alex and Teal doubled up on an interview about great
0: heroines of TV and film from like the 30s, 40s, 50s and on. Female heroes as opposed to any substance that somebody might be thinking at this point. Just to be clear about that. Wow, (laughs) there you go. Yes, just be very clear. I did not know
1: that had a gender, but okay, Alex. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about Teal James Glenn. Yes. I'm going to do that by, I'm going to read a couple of things. Because it's so well phrased.
0: Are you going to read something about Teal? I am. Okay, I'm going to listen. Teal James
1: Glenn has killed hundreds and has been killed more times on stage and screen as he has traveled the world for 40 plus years as a stuntman, fight choreographer, swordmaster, jouster, illustrator, storyteller, bodyguard, actor, and haunted house barker. I love that all of that description and all of those that resume building and you hold back on the writer because that comes down (laughs) later on. He has appeared in all of the New York soap operas and Spencer for Hire and in more movies that show up on Showtime and Cinemax than he wants to admit. And now his stories have been printed in over 100 magazines from Weird Tales, Mystery Weekly, Pulp Adventures, Spine Tangler, Sci-fan, Mad. Black Belt, Fantasy Tales, Pulp Empire, Sifbosa, Sherlock Holmes Mystery, Sci-Fan, again, Crimson Streets, Afterburns, Science Fiction, and Blazing Adventures. His novel, Cowboy in Carpathia, a Bob Howard adventure, won the Best Novel in 2021 in the Pulp Factory Awards, and he is also the winner of the 2012 Pulp Arc Award for Best Author. You can find them at uh, the Urban ladies
0: and gentlemen. That one again. The Urban what? Swashbuckla. Ah, the Urban Swash, oh, Dot com. ok. Dot
1: com. You don't hear yes. that too often. Yes. No, no. No, and that's one of the what? things that's so much fun. I always tell Teal that he is just the adventure biography of all time, waiting Ooh. to happen because he's done so many things in so many ways, all of them to deal with adventure and man deserves his own fights and theories, and it, that's it all. Yeah, it,
2: it reads better than it lived. <laughs> <But> I would <wish laughs> say, on Spencer for Hire, I got to call Hawk a clown. See, you know, paid a price uh, though. that's the thing that caught
0: me, because I was a big Spencer for Hire fan. And so now I got to, later, I got to find out what episode that was and have to go hunt it down. Uh, it's the, uh, the Thanksgiving episode.
2: With, of uh, course Aiden it Bro. is. And, uh, what season? It's I, I season three. I okay. okay. I not know season two, but I think it's season three. But okay. it's, what's cool is that every Brooks shows up on the set. I'm there ahead of him. He shows up on the set and I think, gosh, he's dressed so cool. And then he, he goes into his trailer and change into his Hawk out. Yacht <laughs> <just laughs> is cool. He was just so awesome. I had very little interaction with him, but man, just let the impression. I oh, love the cool. books, and
0: yeah, big fan. And on
2: that show, and then I I got to meet Parker, and he autographed the book for me when I told him about it. He autographed the book. Hawk was lucky. Ah, and, that's so cool. And I'm like, I want to have that on my gravestone. Because yeah, I met him very
1: late in his career, and I asked him about breaking in, and he's just keep writing.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you, if the difference between his first. Spencer book and the second is literally night and day. Oh yeah, and the second is where it really starts. He gets yeah. out by then and introduces Susan and right, uh, and then it just falls off a log for him.
1: Yeah, the first four was there were, were yeah the iconic Spencer for me. Looking for Rachel Wallace was the standard. And
0: am the gentlemen. I'm going to rein you in because we're here yep. to talk about Sorry. Soul Scream and Teal's work. So let's that. Let's it's do. just anyway, an
1: example of the kind it. of energy already covered. That He's Teal James fair- Glenn pulls us into, that enthusiasm. <laughs> and when I started talking to Teal and to Alex, of course, about soul scream antholazine, the thing is, both of you couldn't couldn't wait to help. And It's uh, a brilliant idea. You
2: know, just, truly, just the word antholazine should make you famous for the annals of time going well, forward.
1: I love the idea of anthologies, and I love the idea of writer magazines. Whenever I read a short story, I want to know more about that writer immediately, right? Yeah. And you usually get a little paragraph, but that's that barely whets the appetite. So I, the idea of writing a a People magazine or Entertainment Weekly style 20-paragraph, 14-paragraph, 20-paragraph story on them, with a set if bed of information, but really going to try and capture some of the character of the person, that had a lot of appeal to me. And that's where we got anthology, magazine, anthology right? And then I started playing with form in that Mary San Giovanni, I was in author what scarce the cares, but now it's called author Cares, I was in one of her classes, and she said that the best parts of every story tend to be horror. Think of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. The horror elements are what make that story. And it goes on and on. You could really make a long list of, oh, yes, there's another horror bit.
2: Um, I agree. I've always said that, or or I've heard said many times, that horror is the flavor you can add to any story. And you can add a lot of it or a little of it, but it gives it the spice to keep it going.
1: Mm. And and that became the linchpin for where I wanted to go with this magazine or this anthology, really. It was, it was like that. It looks like a candy, chews like a gum, looks like a book, reads like a magazine. Um, <laughs> and at so
2: leasty too, <laughs> I wanted to stretch
1: the definition of horror. What is horror by exploring the subgenres? And both of you were so key in. In showing me, yeah, I can do that. And we're going to look tonight on two. And the very first thing we put out, Soul Scream and Thalazine, it was a Christmas kind of a teaser. It's really, really thin. It's called Come All Ye Faithless. And there's only about four or five stories in there. Alex, you have a, a story, Believe, in there. And you donate. You donated. You su- let me republish The Reindeer Game. And both stories help show what I'm talking about as far as horror, the hybrid horror with another sub-genre in there. Believe is a crime story with some horror elements, right? That's Alex's story. But The Reindeer Game, you have to read it to believe it. All right. So we're going to turn know. the reins over. <laughs> 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 see what I did? Ah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. try and forget well, you well, did well. that. Get go- um, <laughs> <edit> that out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> please edit it out. We're going to turn it over to Teal to give us... Just a little taste of The Reindeer Game, which is in Come All Ye
2: Faithless from Soul Scream at Balazine. I should be wearing a fedora and a trench coat, but just imagine. <laughs> There's a hint. The <laughs> Reindeer Game. Murder is an ugly crime in any climate. When it happens in the picture postcard beauty of the snowy north, it seems particularly grotesque. Cities near the Arctic Circle are usually quiet places, even as the holidays approach. They're full of folks who've elected to leave the hustle and bustle of down south cities or who work for old Nick himself in one of the satellite shops that make the toys for the big day, which was only a week away. Most people and elves and even the wildlife go about their business peacefully, living the cycle of the seasons with nothing amiss. When they don't, I get called in to set things right. I'm a cop. My name's Christmas, Joe Christmas. My there boss is Captain Kringle. My partner is Kenny Krampus. Yep, one of the big hairy Christmas demons that work for the big guy now. Sort of a yeti with an attitude. But Kenny's okay for a good partner, even if he's almost twice my size. We were working the serious crimes division out of Moosejaw Precinct when we got the call, a 1002, grandma deceased, possible crime. <laughs> that is so fantastic. And
1: again, it there's two or three different genres blended in there seamlessly. And that's the kind of thing I wanted to explore with Soul Scream and Balzine. You have Christmas Story, right? You have outrageous characters, but then it's a crime noir
0: mystery.
2: It's a solvable crime. I, the clues are there. That's so right. It's a fair play mystery. Actually,
0: actually, what I liked about it also is At least I'm hearing one other genre in there, and that's fantasy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. it's really a nice blend. It's almost like a really good uh, uh, daiquiri. (laughs) T.L. James Glenn, he writes daiquiris.
2: Uh In fact, they call him the hickory daiquiri, (laughs) Dog. Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, that's another one I can edit out later. <laughs> this
1: is going to be a really short episode.
2: <laughs> you knew the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. Oh, right.
0: boy. he's going to, He's got me with super chicken now. right? Super chicken. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so
1: let's talk about The Reindeer Game. Now, it was published before. Yes, and that's, it's actually that's,
2: published in a uh, a Christmas anthology.
1: There you go. Yes. And like each ep- each volume of the Rain- Soul Scream Anthology has a different theme, it's fit very well in... Come All Ye Faithless, a holiday-themed uh, uh, ho- hybrid horror exploration. But where did you get the uh, the idea to mix all those genres in such a way in The Reindeer Game?
2: I have a problem. My right. name is Thiel, and I have a problem. I cannot seem to write solidly in one genre if you pinned me down with bolts. Yeah. I just... I see things that mix. I have to work very hard. When I've written Westerns, they tend to go weird. When I've written detective stories, I have to work very hard to keep it real world and not fantasy. Mm-hmm. It just seemed a natural. I, I... It's true. I was inspired by a song, mm-hmm. and, but I said, if that were to happen, how would it happen? Right. And, but I was very conscious of wanting to make it a fair play mystery, even when I do stuff that's that has a fantasy element. Like I have a, a series with uh, Jack Silence, who's a it's a fantasy, urban fantasy sort of thing. Mm. I do mysteries. I want to make them real mysteries. It's right. very important to me that I don't pull it out of my butt. That I let I play fair with the writer, the reader. I want them to enjoy it, so they can enjoy it on a couple of levels. Yeah, um, and you
1: definitely does. have that with the reindeer game, but you also have it with the Silver Avenger, a Mama Shadows case. And yes, that is in Soul Scream and the one with the blue cover. It's To me, it's called uh, She's the One, but that's not on the cover. Uh-huh. Just pure Soul Scream and Um Now, Mama Shadows is a character in a uh, series you have.
2: Yeah, I actually I pulled it up here. Just the it's Killing Shadows, and then I have another book called Deadly Shadows, um, which is two novellas. Uh, Shadows,
1: yeah, those feature John Shadows,
2: John Shadows, who was a a modern day investigator. Uh, It's a legacy character. I've written. I have a series of novels and short stories with a character called Doctor Shadows.
1: Right,
2: Uh, real name Anton Shadow, and the newspapers. Gave him the name of Dr. Shadows, and he eventually changed it legally. so John was born as Shadows with his last name. But his but, wife, right is he first meets her during before World War II in Manchuria, where she tries to kill him because she's an agent of the Japanese government. She's a kuniyoshi, which is a female ninja. And during the war, I tend to see my characters from birth to death. I know their whole life when I write a story. But during the war, they meet three more times, where each time she's on the other side trying to kill him. (laughs) And after the war, he is assigned by the Office of Strategic Services to work in Japan, and occupied Japan. And she's assigned as his partner by the the occupation government. And that's when they fall in love, if they haven't already. It's hard to tell. And eventually get married and have John. Now, yeah. she is still a deadly lady.
1: In, in this story, the Silver Avenger, she's now Mama Shadows. Yeah. John is an adult, and Mama Shadows
2: is up there in age. She's somewhere over 80, maybe approaching 90. Um, um, and she don't, she's the star of
1: this story. And could you give us a little feel for that, a little bit of The Silver Avenger?
2: Uh, it's called The Silver Avenger. My tiny gray-haired mother saw a mugging. Worse, it was someone she knew, and so she decided she had to do something about it. It happened like this. Mom, who I call Mama-san to annoy her most of the time, was out walking her tiny squeak beast, bonsai. It was on a sunny spring day, and all of Union City, New Jersey, seemed to be out on the street. Mom was about four blocks from the house, walking down Park Avenue toward the park that overlooked Manhattan. Union City was more blue-collar then than it it had been when she and Dad moved there to raise me. But crime was on the upswing of late as well, so some of the people in the street were up to no good. Banzai was yapping along, anticipating a doggy play date, when Mom saw the attack two blocks ahead of her. Mama's son walks with a cane, even with the dog pulling on the leaf. She was not exactly zipping along. With speeding up, she did not get to the fallen victim until the three jerks would had knocked the old lady down to the ground stole her purse, kicked her in the head, and were long gone. The victim of the pointless vicious attack was a Honduran grandmother who often exchanged recipes with my own mother. I was as frail-looking as any little mama's son. There was no reason and no point to the thugs having assaulted her, barely worth the, the purse. Mom held the other woman's hand while they waited for the police to respond. Another witness had called them. And she see it. And my mom could give seminars on holding on to anger and making use of it. Mama's on shadows was not one to accept things she did not like, and she did not like seeing a defenseless old woman savaged. She sent the woman, Juliano, off with a promise to visit the hospital and inform the woman's family, and stayed behind to answer responding police officers' routine questions. Mrs. Anton Shadows, she said, but her eyes were not looking at the cop. She was looking over the ground where the attack occurred. She focused on a tiny pool of blood from her friend's head, and she seethed. The officer, who copied down her information, towered over her diminutive form. He was clearly bored with the process of being a cop at that point, but pressed on because he was fresh from the academy. First name, he asked without looking up. Undine. She was annoyed that the rookie did not recognize the name Shadows, but before he could piss her off more, the sergeant stepped in. That's all right, Burton, the older policeman said. I'll finish here. Sorry, Mr. Shadows. He is new. He tried to smile, but Mom was not having any of it. What are you doing wasting time here with me instead of going to the horrible thugs who did this horrible thing? Banzai was running around the policeman's legs, but any time the police officer moved, the dog would run behind Mom. Poppy head out, yeah, they both ignored him. We have to make sure who did this first, ma'am, the cop said with great patience, obviously having heard that Mom was a force in the community. Even though I can guess. Guess? There's been a rash of these kinds of robberies, thug actions, as you say, attacking older women, pushing robberies, snatching grabs outside of supermarkets at night, that sort of thing. This is the first time they've been bold enough to do it in the daylight, and the first time with a witness like yourself. If you know who they are, legally, we don't know ma'am. We suspect, but no one has seen them who will testify. We think it's a local gang, but you have seen them, and He left it hanging, hoping my little mother would leap to her civic duty, say she would look at the mug book. Mom had other plans. My eyes are not so good, she said in a suddenly mad voice and affecting a shy attitude. I only see a blur when Juliana was knocked down. Three blurs, really. It was all bullshit, of course. Mom was proud of not needing glasses for her fine work, (laughs) but she was good at milking her age to look helpless when she wanted to. So the cop let her go. The sergeant promised to keep the extra patrols in the area to have a community liaison check on mom later. Thank you, she said, acting pleasant. I have to go home to call my son. Then mom headed straight back to home with a disappointed puppy trailing her. Jonathan, she said to me on the phone, I want you to come home right now and do some things with computer. That was all I could get out of her on the phone. And from the tone of her voice, I could tell that somebody was going to be in trouble. Even though I maintained a couple apartments and various cover identities in a safe house in Manhattan, the Victorian Three-story house in Union City was still home. I still use my dad's old office to interview potential clients most of the time. Mom, I said when she met me at the front door, will you please tell me what the hell is important that I had to rush out here? Language! She snapped and whacked me on the leg with a cane while Banzai scolded me with a series of squeaks. Then she proceeded to tell me about the money. Why didn't you tell a cop what you saw? You know you could describe those cre- creaks down to the buttons on their shirt. She gave me her liquid oxygen cold stare. But when it did not freeze me to death, she pulled out a sheet of rice paper where she'd done sumi brush drawings. Three drawings. Actually, images of the bad guys. Two were comic book-like cartoons of two guys' faces and the third was a sketch of a unique leather jacket. This is not a matter for the police. I need you to do computer and find them. She was packing a basket with some soup and fruit. She issued my marching orders. I have to get to the hospital and Juliana will need things from home so I'll get her keys from her to get them. The police, I began, we will have silly questions and take too long. You can use contacts to find out the name of the gang and the police, think they belong to then get pictures of the members, and I know how to do research, Mama-san. I used the nickname for her that she hated. I got a whack with the cane for my trouble. I'd be home and make gee for dinner. Take the meat out. She was out the door before she saw me smile, her offer of my favorite Korean dinner was her way of paying me back for finding the goons for her. And I'll leave it there. Excellent. (laughs) I wanted to say a quick hello to Mark Abbott. Hey, Mark. I have to un- un him. Which I'm
0: trying to do now. (laughs) Hold on there, Mark. How about that? There you go. There you
1: go. Mark Abbott, great to see you. We're going to have to be able to focus on you in a couple of minutes. We're just going to- Wrap Teal in a minute. He's got yeah, to run. Right over the but head. Teal, thank you for giving us a good uh taste of Mama Shadows and the Silver Avenger. The thing that I want to say is that was the calm part of the story.
2: Yes, you I mean, do not ever want to piss Mama off. As yeah. he says in the novel, at one point when he got in trouble, his his mother gave an alternative. He could either go and enlist in the Marines. Or go to train with his uncle in Japan, who she trained with. And she always said he took the coward's way. He went in the Marines.
1: Yeah, there you go. Teal, why Mama Shadows? Why this story? I'll tell you in a minute why it rang so true with me and why I wanted to include it. But talk to me about how this story came to be.
0: uh, Can I do one thing just before you do that? Before you answer it. I just wanted to let everybody know. Because, again, people are watching. And they got a little bit of the intro of Teal. But I just want everyone to know that Mark is also a writer. He has also contributed to the anthology that we are discussing. And thank you for being patient there. And by the way, watch the dog behind you. It's really yeah, very that's, hard.
2: That's a picture
0: of his alter ego. Yeah, I mean, yeah. On the Have you fed him? I just yeah. want to check in. That is a teaser for what's to come, Mark. Come. Yeah. Okay. So
2: we're, we're okay. But. but anyway. Okay. So Teal, you're going to answer. But yeah, I'm, Actually, Mama came about because I, I a friend, Jerry Kokich, whose mother was Iva, and they used to call her Iron Iva. She was all of about four foot 11, and she had been the originator of Oklahoma and oh, what was the other one on Broadway, and she was the understudy for both parts. And one night she had to go on in the afternoon for one show and the evening for the other show as the lead and Dancer in it back in the 40s. Wow. And which is why they changed the rule that you can't understudy two different shows because they would have been in real trouble if the train had made it in from Philly in time for the night show for the Alabama. <laughs> but in her 90s, she was still making films, still living on her own and still getting around. She had trained, she was in the Joffrey Ballet. And at one point she was on the road in Oklahoma and she sprained her ankle, but they were like on the road. So she just wrapped it. And for four weeks, she danced on a bed sprained ankle every night and never missed a performance in her entire career. And she was Iron Iva. And when I was thinking about John Shadows, I'd already written a story about Dr. Shadows meeting on Dean. And I said, this is the woman who's going to be his wife. If she's going to be his wife. She's going to be around in later on. I said, there you go. And the idea of a legacy hero whose father was a hero, and he had to be one and tried to avoid it for 10 years and finally took over the family business. So that's where that came from. It was and based very much on a real person.
1: One of the, the reason why this story excited me to include in and Soul Scream and Thalazine. I, want to say salsa, don't you know. I did, but I'm not gonna. It's because it again. I always am interested in hybrid horror, and there's no other story that I've found that talks as with as much fun and as a much seriousness about elder abuse and elder victimization and for an elder to be able to make a statement about that a very dynamic ex- statement
2: important was important to, yeah. yeah it's important for me to expand what people think of as heroes yeah. not all heroes are 30 year old guys or 22 year old slim women right and right. i think that we need more older characters we need more heavy characters we need more disabled characters right. where the age, the weight, or the disability have nothing to do with their heroics, yeah. because they're just the condition of their life. Yeah. And I try to do that with a number of my stories. This was an original for this, by the way. This was first printed for this. Yes, uh, that's, that was. Eventually, it actually uh, will end up, hopefully, in a collection with John Shannon's stories. But that um, would be really
1: cool. But it was exciting to have it in here as a as a first printer. And I, as we went along, more I, I found more and more stories were being sent my way that were favorites or personal. I had a personal space in their hearts from the authors, but they hadn't found a home yet. And Soul Scream wound up becoming some of that too, which well, just is, for I played that, Can I did.
0: ask if that also is is a perfect segue into Mark? No, Mark's got a whole different area of Soul Scream. <laughs> All,
1: oh, okay. And we're going to get to that in a minute. I think we should say thanks to Teal. It was really great of you to come on tonight. And Yes. Again, thank you, guys. I am forever indebted for helping us launch Soul Scream with your great writing. And yeah. for thank you for being here tonight, too. Yeah.
2: And I cede the floor to Mr. Abbott, who uh, who I first met over a lightsaber. Many moons ago. Oh, well, this that sounds like
0: a good story in and of itself.
2: If you think I have a good background, this guy's <laughs> got two. All right, gentlemen, I will see you uh, on the other side. I'll, yeah, I'll and whatever tail.
0: planet you'll be on that time. yes,
2: You never know. All <laughs> exactly. right, take care.
0: Peace. Take care, Teal.
1: All right, Alex Simmons, you are in for a treat. Am you I? Am I? To, am I? You get to meet Mr. Mark Abbott. Mark, I'm going to read from you that read from your biographical information, oh. if you don't mind. No, I... Uh, but I am concerned that I am not going to do justice to all of your stuff. So if I miss something, please fill me in. Mark L. Abbott is a Brooklyn native, whose work includes the Hoogie Party and Etienne. Please and the Stardust Express. You're going to have to fix that pronunciation for me. Etienne. At the end, sorry. Ah, He's the co-author of Hell at the Brooklyn Tea and Hell at the Way Station, the two-time African-American literary award-winning horror anthology. His horror short stories are featured in Hell's Heart, Hell's Mall, Even in the Grave, and the Bram Stoker-nominated horror anthologies, The Empire State of Fright, and Under Twin Suns, alternate histories of the yellow sign. He is a Moth Story Slam and Grand Slam Storyteller winner and an award-winning actor. Find out more about him at www.whoismarklabbott.com. Dag, how'd they do? Thank you. All right, all right.
3: Yeah, I
0: want to ask, did he have to come looking so sharp?
3: What? No, always looks sharp. I mean, he said, not I'm not not in a talk sweater. Talk this wait, guy's wait.
0: got a tie, uh, uh, this black shirt. Uh, Jack- say
1: what? You, if you see pictures of Mark Abbott sleeping, it's a tuxedo. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: I understand. I understand. So, so that uh, was for the benefit of people who are listening to the audio version of this. This brother is dressed
3: tight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's,
3: that's,
0: a, just, that's just an everyday occurrence. <laughs> in Mark's
1: life.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Mark, uh, Mark and I, we worked together just over a year ago at the Barnes & Noble reading that we put on with the New York Chapters Horror Writers. It was Barnes & Noble in Jersey. And that is one of the areas that was like the birthplace of Soul Scream and Palazine because we had 10 writers that night. And one after the other was just fascinating. Very different styles, very wide range of what was covered. And that's where Soul Scream and Palazine Started taking shape. I wanted to celebrate how wide an umbrella or a tent horror gives to other genres. Come on in, we'll mix it with you. And one of the things I was hoping for was that we'd have what I might term some foundational horror, because all of us cut our teeth on vampires and werewolves and things like that. But again, Soul Scream and is about hybrid horror. How is that going to be handled? And my prayers were answered with Mark L. Abbott. Because he sent me the, I'm sorry, I want to make sure I don't mispronounce, A Marked Man, not the A Marked Man, which is a very modern take on very classic heroes. So what we'd like to do, Mark, is let you... Cut loose a little bit on a Mark Man if that's cool with you for a little bit, and then want to talk to you about your view of these seminal, iconic characters. Mm-hmm. Does that work with you, sir? Yeah, that's that's absolutely fine with me. Cool. Are we did. Are you ready to read a little bit of Mark Man?
3: Yes. Yeah, I have it uh, brought up here on the screen. So. Fine.
1: Do you feel like we need to set anything up or you want to just. I,
3: I'll i set it up because where I'm starting from in this story is where things are about to, things are really, really heating up. Um,
1: it. Cam, it was, you gave us permission to print this story, reprint this story in the blue soul scream and thalazine. Yes. Uh, everybody is in that. Mm-hmm. Take it away, Mark, and we'll talk on the other side. All right. So this
3: story is called A Marked Man and where we're beginning, our two characters, Alexander and girlfriend are going out to dinner. She has been away. Candace has been away for a while and she's returned to New York. And this is around the time of the sinking of the Titanic. This has happened. This is sometime after that. And. Candace and Alexander have this very unique relationship. They don't see each other often and she disappears for long periods of time. So she's now back home and they go out to dinner and she's about to find out something Alexander has been keeping from her. Alexander raised his hand and motioned to the waiter that he wanted to check. He reached into his jacket pocket to get his wallet as Candace returned to the table and took her seat across from it. This oak room is wonderful, Candace said. They really know how to treat their guests here. I figured you'd like it, Alexander said. I considered canceling the reservations. Why? After what happened earlier, I figured you may not want to go to dinner. And since you've had to go see your brother, I thought you would feel rushed to meet up. My brother ended up coming to see me, so he saved me the trip. As for what happened earlier, it's already forgotten. So I haven't done anything wrong then, Alexander said. No, I have no issues with your company, Candace said. I like you. Alexander smirked while Candace smiled. The waiter placed the check down on the table, and Alexander told him to wait. He glanced at the check, and placed his money on the plate. Where to, my dear? Alexander said. A stroll to the park? Why not? Candace stood and turned to her right. She locked eyes with a very beautiful fair skinned woman, dressed all in black, with a large hat with feathers sticking out of it. She didn't break her stare while she drank her coffee. Candace nodded, nodded politely to her, and the woman's eyes shifted to Alexander. Candace followed her gaze, Alexander buttoning his suit jacket. Something wrong, he said. Candace's eyes slowly moved back to the woman in black. Alexander followed her eyes and saw the woman staring at him. His smile fell. He took hold of Candace's arm. Do you know that woman, Candace said. A story for another time, Alexander said. Come, let's go for that walk. Candace nodded and walked past Alexander, and he paused for a moment and stared at the woman in black, and she smiled briefly, then attended to her dessert. A light rain had started when Alexander and Candace left the oak room for Central Park, mixing with the soft glow of the gaslight in the tall lamps, the night felt both gothic and romantic. They walked in silence along a cobblestone path until they reached a large fountain. Surrounded by benches and hanging gas lamps. Alexander wiped off a bench with his handkerchief. And they sat alone, quietly for a moment. And Alexander broke the silence. During dinner, you, you said you carve out time once a month to go out of town. Is it business? No, not really. It's more a necessary retreat. Medical reasons? No, Kansas hesitated, hunting. You've hugged? Only with my family, she said. Fascinating. You're just full of surprises. What kind of animals do you hunt for? Candace hesitated. Before I answer that, I need to ask you about the woman watching us at the restaurant. Oh, her. Alexander grew pale. Why do you look like someone's walked over your grave? It's complicated. Is she an ex-girlfriend? I asked because the way she was staring, it was as if she was bothered to see us together. I don't think you should give her a second thought, he said. But I do, said she said. My brother seems to believe that you are a marked man meaning that you're cursed in some way. Alexander shifted nervously in the seat. Handis, you're you're talking crazy. Cursed? (laughs) You don't actually believe in such things. I'm an open-minded woman, Alexander. My family has had dealings with certain types of, how do I put this? Individuals who like to bring harm to others. And if that is the case with this woman, I need to know. Not only for my safety, but for yours as well. She placed her hand on top of his. Who is she? Alexander grabbed the bridge of his nose and exhaled. You know what? You'll find out sooner or later. He turned to her. Her Her name is Raven. We were involved for two years, but it's completely over between us. Another woman. Mind if I ask what happened? A vicious, jealous streak, and a dark secret I discovered about her, Alexander's. She didn't like any woman spending time with me. She even threatened to kill one of my co-workers she saw having lunch with me. She told every female friend I had that I was hers. You get the point. Jesus. What was the secret, Candace? I can't tell you. Why not? I promised I would never speak of it. But I can say, what I can say, is that she is not the kind of person you want to cross swords with. If you've had experience in dealing with certain types of individuals, you'll understand my meaning. I believe I do, she said. What else can you tell me? She started to stalk me. She would watch me from distance at first, and then she left threatening notes under my apartment door. Eventually, I contacted the police. Candace leaned in to him, intrigued. Did they arrest her? She disappeared after that. I hadn't seen her until tonight, Alexander said. Did she ever make good on her threats? Gander said, I only ask so that I can be on my guard. Now that she's seen us together, she may try some. Alexander looked into her eyes. I don't. Think so? Candace leaned in and kissed Alexander on the cheek. I'm not. I can handle myself. Let's change the subject. Now that we've officially gone on our second date, how about making the next one a getaway? Alexander said. An overnighter. Candace shifted in her seat. You don't waste time. Doesn't have to be overnight. We can make a day trip someplace not New York City. What do you... Candace stopped talking abruptly. She turned her attention to the far end of the fountains, her gaze fixed on the dark path that led into the park. What's wrong? Alexander said. I thought I heard someone coming. You think she followed us? The silhouette of a person approaching them in the darkness appears. A small orange light appearing to be floating in midair, then went out. A second later... A puff of smoke bloomed quickly then faded, and Raven stuck into the light. She took another drag off of her cigarette. Good to see you again, Alexander. Raven turned to Candace. I don't believe I've had the pleasure. Raven Lockwood, pleased to make your acquaintance. Candace Bridgeport, Candace stood. charmed. Raven sized up Candace in smirked. Yes, I'm sure you are. I'm sorry, Candace said. I take it you two enjoyed dinner? Alexander and I ate there often. A lot of fond memories we have there, am I correct? Raven said. Alexander slowly said, Raven, you and I agreed to go our separate ways. No, I said let's talk, and you called the police on me. After you started stalking me, I only came after you because you never gave me the chance to explain my secret to you, Raven said. It doesn't matter if it were true or false. The bottom line is that we're through, Alexander said. I moved on. Rather quickly, too, Raven said. What does that say about you? Excuse me, Raven, is it? Candace waved her hand and got Raven's attention. I, I think Alexander made it perfectly clear he doesn't wish to have anything more to do with you. Candace, don't get in the middle of this. I'll handle her, Alexander said. I'm already in the middle of it, Alexander, Candace said. Really? Because no one is speaking to you. It would be in your best interest to keep your mouth shut and stay out of this, Raven said. Candace gasped. How dare you speak to me that way? You don't know me. Raven ignored her. If you surely want us to go our separate ways, you need to take a walk with me. We can put final touches on putting an end to all this and put it behind us. Two minutes is all I need. You must think me mad, Alexander said. Go off with you so you can do that thing with your eyes to me? I would rather live with what I know than have you in my head manipulating me. Alexander, be honest. You would rather mend fences with me than to be with that street urchin next to you. Look who's calling. Look who's talking. Wait, Candace said. Bench. Interesting choice of words coming from someone gallivanting around town with my bow, Raven said. She reached out and felt Candace's hair. Such soft hair. Like those found, like the kind found in a common war's head, in a brothel. You worked one often to know that, Candace said. Raven closed her hand around Candace's hair and pulled it hard. Candace screamed, reached back and dug her nails under Raven's wrist. Raven quickly let go as Candace spun around and slapped her hard across the face. Stop it, the both of you, Alexander said. She started it, ran Candace said. Childish bitch, Raven said. Enough of this, Raven. I don't want to see you anymore. Walk away knowing that I have no intentions of ever speaking about what I know. Alexander said, yes, that's not going to work for me, Raven said. Raven reached out and seized Alexander by the arm. Candace immediately lunged for her. Raven stepped to the side and quickly grabbed Candace by the throat. She whipped her around, pulled Candace close to her face, parted her lips, and exposed two long, sharp canines. Bloody hell, Candace said. You are the one who marked him. Candace pushed her to the ground and hissed. Her eyes shimmered with red tint in the lamplight. Candace scrambled to her feet and started to run. Raven's movements were a blur. She rushed to Alexander, pushed him into the bench, then went after Candace. Bottom of Candace's shoes slid on the wet ground and Raven ran up behind her and shoved her forward, causing her to lose her footing completely to fall to the ground. Raven walked up behind her and seized her by the back of her neck, dragging Candace behind her. Raven took her to the edges to the hedges of the long walkway and threw her body over it into the darkness. I'll come back and deal with you in a moment, Raven said. Moving in a blur, Raven was back next to Alexander. She exposed her fangs and and he withdrew from her. I told you, no other woman will ever have you. You're mine and mine alone. I have marked you for life. And there's nowhere you can go that I will not find you. I've avoided you for two years. <laughs> I've allowed you to come and go, hoping time would make you come to your senses. Instead, you align yourself with that common street whore. I won't have it. Why me? Alexander Winston pain. Because I always get what I want. And said and Raven started to reach for him and made a gulping sound. Her face contorted into a look of pain. She reached over her shoulder, clawing the upper, uh, her upper part, and turned her back to Alexander and saw the handle of a dagger protruding from her back. Something whistled through the air, and Raven buckled forward. She reached down and grabbed the handle of a second dagger that was lodged in her stomach. She pulled it out quickly, dropping it to the ground. She staggered sideways, and Alexander saw the handle was carved resembling a wolf. From the darkness, Candace appeared, holding a dagger in one hand and a crucifix in the other. She held it out in front of her as she flung the last dagger into Raven's breast, and it found its mark and sank in. Candace? Alexander screamed. Stay there, my love. This is between us girls. Candace closed the gap between her and Raven. Looks like you picked the wrong man to
0: stalk. Vampire. I'll leave it. I mean, Alex, see what I mean?
1: Oh, man, that's great stuff. Um, Thank you. uh, And I have to both apologize and defend myself, because when I was introducing this part, I said it's a very modern take on these classic heroes. And, of course, if you listen and you... hear the references to gaslight and all that stuff. It is, I would call a semi-period piece, right? Maybe not as far back as Dracula and those no. kinds of things. Still not in today's, but the energy with which you write it transcends a feel of a period piece. It is, it has the trappings, but it has the energy of, especially from that point forward, of what i what i took away which was that modern feel talk to me about these characters and marked man and what else what other tales you may have told with these characters why them why the this take on these classic character types um
3: these guys were part of a very short, it was a really short piece that I had originally written. And Candace was some, Candace was actually something else in the original piece. And then when I revisited the story, I decided to stretch it out a little bit more and change the dynamics of what, of who she is and what she does. Uh, I really, I always like the, I've always had a, a, a love for the, vampire hunter mm-hmm. and ideas that one could pick up on, pick up on them without them exposing themselves kind of thing. Early on in the story, we get an idea of who Candace's family is and what they do and why they are kind of, they, they're not technically... I wouldn't say they are completely human, which is why they can pick up on vampires. But I wanted to go in a different direction with that idea of, you notice that her daggers have wolves on them. Right. So it's the old idea that the, the vampire and the wolf and that kind of that struggle uh, between the two and sensing, being able to use their senses to um, pick up on that kind of thing. So that's what I was looking at when I changed the story, when I changed the dynamics of it. I don't know if I would ever go deeper into these characters mm-hmm. because some stories I found when writing short fiction, some stories are really a one and done. They they're perfectly gift-wrapped where they give you enough information at the beginning that you fall in love with the characters and as a writer you don't want to overplay them. They may be perfect for this story, but if I try to expand the story, I might lose the charm of, of the characters and what they can do. So I, when, after I finished reworking this story to where it is now, I was like, you know what, I think this is good. And I don't want to turn it into a whole like right. series of, right. of stories about these characters or anything.
1: It definitely feels like a um, fully realized and layered world. Mm I think that's the impression. That's probably one of the impressions. One of the reasons why I had the impression that there was more here and more there, but definitely uh, knowing when uh, the story is enough is a it's a key acquired skill. And a lot of our audience are ascending or emerging writers. Mm -hmm. So. Can you speak for them a little bit about know what you know, when you know that one and done is enough or when, when there might be more there? How does that work for you? Uh, usually
3: when I start out, it dep- let's start here. It depends on what I'm writing, mm-hmm. what I've been asked to write. Usually when it's a short story, I've been asked to write one. I'm usually given a theme or something like that. So I walk into it knowing, okay, it's only, it's going to be, it's going to be contained. It's not going to be something that I'm going to expand on and I'm good with that. Usually I know when the story has, where it's not going to go any further than where it's gone is somewhere right before we get to the climax. I usually can pick up on that and I'm like, if I keep going with this and it gets longer than it needed to be, then I'm going into novella territory. Word. I'm I'm moving away from the short story and I'm slowly going there. And sometimes that happens because I may put too much background information. Right. You know, I, because with short fiction, particularly the type of story you're going to tell, you you have to give enough background so that the readers are invested in the characters. But as most writers know, when you start writing, when the juices start flowing, sometimes you can't stop. And that pen or that computer just keeps going and you would just put too much in there. And sometimes, be honest, sometimes if you have too much, you can look at it and go, you know what? I can take a chunk of this and use it for a different story over here, maybe later down the line but maybe not with these characters. So I usually know once I get close to the climax, whether or not this is a one and done, it has been very rare. I can't even think of a story that I've written where I've felt, you know what? I think I'm going to continue this right. somewhere down the road. And I think, I'll be honest, the hardest piece I had to write was well, okay. Under Twin Suns. Yeah, because I was piggybacking off of Robert Chambers. Sure, what that was the whole <laughs> right, that right, I was right. given, and the direction I decided to go in. I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting to just be contained in somebody else's world and not my own.
0: That's wild. I to yes. Jump in there for a moment. Uh, one of the things that I appreciated about the tale, and this is, I, I was, I'm about to preface my own remark with. I'm not trying to make a societal statement here, but it was interesting to watch the roles flip to where the victim, if you will, is male. Because quite often in these type of vampire tales, it's the woman who's become the victim of the vampire who keeps coming back or stalking them and that sort of thing. And in this, I had some suspicion that the young lady he was talking to, Candace, was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Candace was special in some other way than just a wonderful person he's dating or potentially dating. But it was nice to watch that once you realize who the characters were, the three positions, to watch that whole thing just shifted to where he is now, he's the one who's being stalked. He's the one that's in danger. And for that brief moment when it looks like raven is in total control and everybody's going to go down before her and then to have candace strike back it was like oh wow this is a nice shift i like how this looks and i like how this feels so i just wanted to comment on that it was in that way it is definitely not a um a a piece from the past because in the past it would have always been the woman who was the victim yeah, so I, I really like that approach and I like that feel. And I, and again, the energy that Chris mentioned is very palpable there. Thank you.
3: Thank
0: you. I, it's, I like to
3: do that every once in a while is flip the script and not because a lot of these stories it's the, it's the priest or it's the, it's the strong, the strapping guy down that lives down the lane is I'm on my way. And I think when I first wrote this. In its original form, I was thinking, I was like, now, what would happen if the guy didn't have control? Mm. What happens in the situation where I originally thought maybe he would be a cad, like he was just dating women for the sake, and this one woman had been stalking him, and now he was paying the price for his behavior. Mm. And then I I guess in my writing him, I felt sorry for him because it was one of those (laughs) things where I was like, he's not a bad guy. He just, he's trying to find somebody that he can connect with. And he meets this woman who he thinks, hey, we've got. But then she, when he finds out that, oh, she's an actual monster. Nice. How do you get out of this situation? And she's just determined. We don't know. I think that's the one thing I leave up in the air is what did he do? to Raven that made her want him so bad that for two years this woman has been stalking him and then at one point just stalking him from the shadows not even where he could see her. Mm -hmm. So I still don't know what he did.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say that as as an audience member I'm sitting here and she took the role of the abuser that you hear about To where, yeah, they could be with, you you don't like what this woman you're with is, go date somebody else. No, they're in a power position and they are getting something out of that controlling factor over this person, over having total control over this individual is something that they are getting from that relationship. And so to some degree, when I was listening to you, I wasn't so much caught up in Why she did it, because some part of me was going, she's really getting off. I'm feeling she's the ultimate power in this situation. She saw Candace as no threat. She certainly doesn't see him as as Alexander as a threat. By the way, thank you very much for naming your character after me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Actually, nobody nobody is as badass as I am in this particular situation. (laughs) And then, boom, the tables get turned. And it's not a dramatic... Oh, like she doesn't get to do a soliloquy at that moment. It's suddenly, oh, there's a mm-hmm. problem here. I took her as, as absolutely a power junkie and an abuser. And because she even says, you even have her say, I let you alone for a while. Yeah. Yeah. But it I always was- knew where you were. I always knew what you were doing. Yeah.
1: The, the dialogue and also some of the actions just show that she takes it for granted that she is the Uber being in this situation, she even grabs Candace and drags her behind her mm-hmm. like she's nothing and flings her away into the and I'll take care of you after I take care of this bit of non business. And out of the shadows comes the, the turning of the tide, which again, uh, it's that energy that, uh, that I loved. And I was so grateful because when I asked everyone, I didn't really know what I was going to get, mm-hmm. and this fulfilled. An area that I felt was really needed. And then there was so many more layers within the story. So uh, I wanted to thank you for that. And people can read the whole story in those cream and zine right here. It's really well worth the trip. I do want to ask you one other thing. Writer of stories, but you are also a teller of tales in public. Yeah. And a teacher in the classroom, three completely different storytelling energies. And I was wondering if you could talk about or compare and contrast what you need for each of them, because we learn, or what you learn about storytelling from each of them. Because again, a lot of our audience come here to hear a little bit about something that'll fuel them going on. And I think it's, you're in such a unique position to talk about all three. And I'd love to hear your insights on that. Oh. Easy questions here. Just (laughs)
3: easy. What's Uh, your favorite color? So I'll I'll take a step backwards on something. I fell into storytelling, uh, oral storytelling by accident. It wasn't something that I was pursuing. Mm And I just felt, I love the idea of being able to express my words verbally. The written word, you're really caught up in your own head when you're writing. Mm -hmm. And it's a lonely kind of thing, except for the, I often tell people you gotta be a little schizophrenic to hear all these little voices in your head. Because you got all these different characters you got to speak for and talk to, Sure, but when you're on stage or you're at, or I'm performing at a storytelling event, it's a different audience. It's people are drawn in by listening to you. They, you have an opportunity to be in front of people and ring them in a different way. And. I get a lot of enjoyment out of that because you get an opportunity because no story is ever told. See, here's the thing when you write a story and like I read it, I may leave out a couple of words here and there. Cause as writers, when you read your own work, you're like, so dumb. But when you're telling a story, uh, it's never told the same way twice. True. It's, it's not a big fish story, but it definitely. When you're depending on the audience. You may tell it fast, you may tell it slow, you may want to linger on a few things. So you get the opportunity to try storytelling in different fashions. In the classroom is much different. I I teach writing to teenagers. So the the hard part is keeping their interest. That's the, therein lies the trick is they don't want to be there. And then you ha- I have to find ways to engage them so that they are interested in what I'm saying. And I know that oftentimes when we talk, when I talk to them, we'll talk a little bit about what we have to talk about during the day, but then they'll, they'll, how do you write? We're getting into fiction soon. Sure. And, and it's often the question of how do you tell a story? How do you, and that gives me the opportunity to do two things at the same time, show them how to write one and then storytell. And so they get both sides of the, of the fence. They get to hear it first before they get to sit down and write it. And so often I tell them, think about writing as a conversation. You're, you walked into a ring. You heard somebody talking about a topic you're familiar with and you walked over and then you interjected into it and then you start telling your story. I said, that's one of the best ways I could tell you how to approach writing. Approach your characters like old friends. These are, remember, these are people, I told one of my classes recently, we were talking about editing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I told them, I said, I want you to think of yourself I said, I'm going to, I have stand over here. We're going to edit and you guys who are going to write. I said, no, the writers, I want you to think of your work as your child. I said, you conceived this idea. You birthed it. You brought it into this world. It is your own and nothing. No one will ever dare tell you there's something wrong with your child. I said, now comes the editor. Who's basically the person across the street that's about to tell you, you know, what's wrong with your kid. Let me tell you what I saw them doing and start (laughs) picking your baby apart. And I said, the first thing you're going to have to learn is not to completely defend. You have to listen to what the editor tells you because the editor technically is try is in it for your best interest. And you, as the parent, now have to step back and listen to what you don't want to be want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, what you're going to do is you're going to start defending your work right after I tell you this. And sure enough, when they started working and I could hear the editors like, this sentence here didn't make sense. See, you're not understanding what I was trying to say. I was like, Uh-huh, there it goes. There I, was you like, go. you, I was like, You're defending your kid again. Let it go. Let the editor tell you. So I that's one of the, the like, kind of neat nuances I teach them um, yeah. when it comes to writing.
1: It's a good analogy for, especially if you're just starting to work in critique groups or in with editors to, to discipline yourself to say, okay, open myself up to how other people are seeing this thing
0: yeah. and, and what can I do with it? I think it's also cool because Chris often says, we both do, but Chris often says it much more than I do, about reading your work aloud mm-hmm. in order to hear it and to really get the sense of the cadence, the rhythm, the voices of the characters, are they individual enough and all that sort of thing. And this is just another example of that in telling that story, you can really live the character parts yeah. and really get a, a much stronger connection to them. And then certainly, if you've written the piece, now you've had that experience. But now that character's come to life in you, you learn even more, and then go back to the manuscript and start finessing. Mm -hmm.
1: And we've we've all three of us are in the classroom. Uh, Alex teaches at the New York Film Academy, uh, besides everything else he does. Um, I had to amend that rule with uh, students to read out loud. I had to amend it to read out loud you're getting paid a hell of a lot of money to do because when i first said read out loud they were going like this I thought <laughs> that, that's not going to help you at all if you're if you got cash on the line that's a different story well, how much cash that's why i said a oh, hell of a lot you determine how much a hell of a lot is and what would make what would be the threshold dollar amount that would make you Put heart and soul in there, and yeah. put character in there, and uh, that was an effective difference because they started catching all these things, right? Yeah. That you and I and Alex definitely knows about putting some dr- drama into the writing, some life into the uh, reading of your own writing. You catch, oh, too many words here, or this. So those little mm-hmm. things, and then you start layering in, which was one of the key pleasures i had tonight just listening to you you can hear all the just nuances of character characterization in there that's it you can only learn that by doing for a while i know it's a challenge to teach
0: teenagers to do that in a few short weeks (laughs) i would love to and obviously mark i don't know you you've worked with chris you've just met me but i would love to invite you back for another episode where we could talk more about your storytelling and your writing experiences combined, because just getting this taste of it, I I realized oh this there's, there's so many places we could go with this, and that would really again be useful to us, but most assuredly to our listeners. And and also I'm officially also the clock watcher, so I have to I have to make make sure that we're we're going to ring this in. So I want to give Chris a chance to say thank you and and give you a chance to offer up any last thoughts. But would you consider at some point coming back? Sure, sure. Oh. Great. Okay, so that invite I'm a loud sure. sure. So, okay, Chris. Now, again,
1: Mark, from the very beginning, you've been very generous with your time, with your creativity, and I really am. I am so honored that you agree to be part of this and help with this kind of exploration of form. So, I really wanted to thank you again for being a you. <laughs> So You're thanks, welcome. man. And is there anything you want to say, Mark? Um,
3: just, I want to thank Chris for reprinting this story. And it's getting a fresh set of eyes. People are going to to really enjoy it. Those who've already read it and enjoy it. And those who are going to pick up in, uh, the uh, anthology it's a brand new
0: word we're good teal's yeah. Thiel, a big fan <laughs> of that word <laughs> yeah.
3: but but thank you so much for allowing me to to share this story verbally with it was a lot of fans. fun i appreciate it and, i enjoyed it yeah
1: and looking forward to have you on again uh we'll hear more from alex this time and mm-hmm. then the next time he don't really don't sweat it, don't we'll,
0: sweat it. So hey, so let's remind everybody. It's a wonderful uh, issue of Soul Scream Anthology, and how do you describe it? It's the one without the the subtitle. Yeah. yeah, this is the Led Zeppelin Four of the Soul Scream Anthology <laughs> episode. It's got no
1: title. I always refer to it in my mind that she's the one. But I just wanted the I wanted the art to take center. And when I first put it out, I didn't know if I was going to get to the others. So. I said, let this stand for on its own feet, and then we'll subtitle the oh, other the ones. The screaming so we'll get to skull, it. yeah, the screaming. the one white skull, yeah, that is the soul screen, By the way, yeah, there it. you go. So, yeah, so go pick that up one. absolutely. And read Alex and read Mark
0: and have fun. Yeah, right. okay. Cool. Again, thank you very much, Mark. Chris as always great to see you, folks. Please leave your comments, your questions, and anything else in the comment sections. Yeah. And oh, as Chris yes. likes to say, press what. Um, thumbs up and subscribe so there you don't, go. don't miss nothing that's okay. right you don't want to miss the thing okay bark again thanks very much chris as thank always thank you, well, thanks, you again. Everybody. thanks for your time
3: all right thank you bye-bye Peace, everybody. Okay.